1: they will try to deceive those Jewish believers who are in hiding to follow them. But Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 24, that it will not be possible for these false messiahs to mislead any of God's elect. You are listening to Verse by Verse, a daily radio Bible class led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Thanks for tuning in today. Pastor Steve will be bringing the final part of this message on the supreme sign of Christ's return, taken from the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. Jesus was telling his disciples what signs would precede his return to set up his kingdom here on earth. These signs, he said, would all take place following the rapture and the final seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation. It has been a fascinating series of studies. Now with today's class, here is Pastor Steve.
2: However, what we read next also reveals that false believers are going to infiltrate these groups and try to lure them out into the open where they will not be safe. Look at verses 23 through 26. Then if anyone says to you, what he means is anyone says to you while you're in hiding in this Mountain refuge. Behold, here's the Christ. Or there he is. Jesus said, don't believe him. If they say it, don't believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. So as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, he means if they say to you at that time that you're hiding, behold, he's in the wilderness. Don't go out. Or behold, he's in the inner rooms. Do not believe them. Now, to those who will be hiding in their mountain refuge, protected by God, Jesus warns that Satan is going to send his ambassadors into their midst, into these small clusters of of groups. And he's going to try to lure you out of hiding by claiming, watch this, that the Messiah has arrived on earth. And that he's busy performing signs and wonders and miracles. And that he wants you to come to him so he can establish his kingdom. He's waiting for you. He's out in the wilderness, one will say. Another will say, no, no, I know that he's in an inner room. Perhaps in the city of Jerusalem. He's just waiting for you. He's there in secret. Nobody knows he's there. He's just waiting for you people to come to him. So that's what they're going to say. One false teacher will say to the group he's with, Messiah has returned. He's here. He's doing these signs. Come on. Let's leave. Let's go to him. Another will say, no, I, I know where he is. He's in an inner room. Very private. Very quiet. Come. Let's go to him. So, so when you go to him, he'll start his kingdom. He's just waiting for you. Now, understand that Satan will be behind these lies about the Messiah's arrival because he wants these Jewish people to come out of their hiding place Their place of refuge and safety so that they can be captured by his forces, Antichrist forces and then killed. That's the goal of Satan to destroy every Jewish person on this planet so that Jesus won't return to fulfill his promise to them. So his method at that time will be to try to deceive these people into thinking that their Messiah has returned and all they need to do is go to him. Let's go. However, they won't do it. Jewish believers in Christ will not do it because they will not believe these phony Christians. And why not? Well, notice what Jesus said at the end of verse 24. So as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. In other words, these false believers will try to mislead you to follow a false Messiah, but it won't happen. In fact, Jesus said it's not even possible. It's not even possible. Now, let me stop here for a moment as we consider just the implications of this statement by Christ. The Lord said that it is not possible for one of his elect to follow a false Christ. That is a tremendous statement and ought to be of great encouragement to you. What this reveals is that no true Christian will ever be led astray to denounce Jesus as Messiah, as Lord, as Savior for another. Listen, genuine believers can and do at times get confused about doctrine. We are capable of embracing some unbiblical and pretty bizarre theological views. Believe me. But one thing that a genuine Christian, Jesus said, will not and cannot ever Embrace is the belief that someone other than Jesus Christ is the true Messiah and Lord. Once you become a true follower of Christ as Savior and Lord, and you've really been regenerated, you've really been converted. You can never be deceived into believing that you made a mistake, that somebody else is the real Savior. Somebody else is the real Lord, and you were just mistaken about Jesus. Never will that happen. And there's a basic reason for that. Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You know the voice of your shepherd. And Jesus said they will not follow another shepherd. You know the voice of Christ. You've never heard it audibly. You hear it through the scriptures. You know his call. As you read the word of God, you know the voice of your shepherd and you cannot be fooled into following someone else's voice. That's what he's saying. Now, sometimes, as I said, we get confused about doctrine, but never will you ever reject if you're a true believer, Jesus as Lord and Savior and Messiah. Now, going back to Matthew 24, this is precisely note verses 25 and 26. This is why Jesus said this. Behold, I have told you in Advance. So if they say to you If someone comes and says to you in that day, and they will, Behold he's in the wilderness, don't go out. Or behold he's in the inner rooms, do not believe them. In other words, he's telling them, You who will be alive during the end times and hiding in the mountains, don't pay attention to what anyone else has to say about leaving their your hiding place to seek this Messiah. The reason I've told you these things in advance is is so that you will have my words to follow. And so you won't be deceived. You have my word on it. Don't leave. Don't leave. Don't let anyone deceive you into thinking that I've already arrived on earth and I'm just waiting for you in some wilderness place or some inner room in a large house in Jerusalem. Don't do it. So he says, listen only to my words. That's the point. Listen to my words and stay where you are. So, folks, here's an important question for us to consider. If these Hebrew Christians remain in hiding, isolated and secluded from everyone else in the world, and they are here forbidden by Christ to leave their refuge place, lest they be discovered and then arrested and then executed, then how will they know when Jesus does arrive on the earth? How will they know this? After all, they're going to be stuck in the mountains. So how will they be able to know when Jesus comes back? The answer is given by Jesus himself in the next few verses as he reveals the fifth and the final sign that indicates he's about to return. He's given four signs. We've looked at them. Now the fifth. There will be an increase in counterfeit messiahs, an increase in conflicts between nations, A rise in calamities on the earth and an intense contempt for believers in Christ. Now the fifth sign that will take place just before Jesus returns is that there will be cosmic disturbances in the heavens. Verse 27, For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. In this statement, Jesus compares his coming to lightning flashing across the sky. The basic point that the Lord is making here is that his coming won't be anything like the false believers claim it will be. You see, these false believers will say to those hiding in the mountains, the Messiah has come. It's been very secretive. His coming has been very, very secretive and hidden from everyone. It's not for public knowledge. I'm telling you this. I've got the inside scoop. He's waiting for you in the wilderness, waiting for you in a private room. In other words, they'll be saying that the Messiah has quietly returned to earth. He's in a place of seclusion, waiting for you believers to come to him. Jesus completely debunks that. Completely debunks that by saying that his return will not be private. It will not be quiet. It will be public and it will be quite spectacular like lightning flashing across the sky. That is to say, just as the lightning may come out of the east, but it's visible everywhere as far as the west. So will Christ's coming be visible to everyone. That's his point. So in essence, what Jesus is saying then is don't worry about missing my return. You're not going to miss it. You're going to see it because when I come. It'll be obvious to everybody. It'll be spectacular. No one will miss it, not even if they're hiding in the mountains. And just to affirm the visibility of his return, Jesus makes a statement that has puzzled many people because it just sounds so odd and out of place. Verse 28, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, there's a Bible verse for you to memorize and meditate on. Well, what do what vultures gathering to feed upon a dead animal's body have to do with Christ's return? It's really not hard. I have read a number of interpretations of this, and I think that many uh, Bible teachers have missed the point. It's not, it's not that deep in context. It's just a supportive statement of what he's just said about the visibility of, Of his return. And the point that he seems to be making, by the way, this is apparently an ancient proverb that Jesus is quoting that people back then knew. The point he seems to be making is that just as it is impossible for vultures to not see a dead body on the ground, and it is impossible, they don't miss it, so it will be impossible for people not to see his second coming because it will be so observable. Everyone, I take it that that's exactly what he means. Nothing deeper than that. It's just going to be obvious. Vultures don't miss a corpse. You're not going to miss my return. And having said this, Jesus now goes on to explain just how visible his appearance will be to everybody on this planet. Verse 29. But immediately, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. The Lord says that sometime shortly after the conclusion of the seven year tribulation period. When we're not told, but he said immediately after the tribulation of those days. God is going to cause the physical universe to start convulsing as the powers of the heavens, he said, will be shaken. He said that darkness will engulf The earth, because the sun won't shine, the moon won't give forth any light, and the stars will even fall from the sky, meaning that they're going to cease to give any illumination. In Luke's account of this, we see the absolute terror that will fall upon everyone who's alive at that time as God shakes up the universe. In Luke's account, we read the people will be so frightened that Jesus said some will faint from fear. That word faint actually means to expire. In other words, some are going to die. They're going to die. They're going to be frightened to death, literally. Now, folks, we we need to understand that the only reason our world today does not convulse like what we read about here is because it's sustained by Christ. Hebrews 1 3 says, In him all things hold together. See, we call it the law of gravity, but it's really Christ. He's holding it together. If the Lord should release this world, then it starts convulsing. So thank Him every day. You look at the beauty of nature. It all holds together. Not because of science, but because of Christ. So, as I said, if the Lord should withdraw His power, then nothing would function properly. And that is exactly what He's going to do just before He returns. The Lord is going to shake things up by turning off the lights in the sky. And when the world is covered with darkness and some people are dying out of sheer terror and everything seems to be out of control, then Jesus is going to suddenly light up the universe. With the brightness of his own radiant Shekinah glory as he comes in the clouds. Verse 30. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will, as they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Either you're very quiet because you're stunned by this, or you're, uh, I don't know what. But this is a praise the Lord. This is a, this is a gasp. This is an awe. I mean, if ever we want to use the word awesome, this is it. Not for your favorite ice cream. It's this. This is awesome. Now, as you recall, the Lord's disciples came to Jesus and they said, show us a sign. Jesus gave them several signs, but this actually is the supreme sign. This is the ultimate sign. This is the primary sign of his coming. As somebody has called it, this is the sign of signs. What is that sign? He's going to illuminate the pitch black universe. He's going to do it by coming on the clouds of the sky in great power and glory. That is to say, Jesus himself, in all of his glory, is going to light up the sky with the radiance of the Shekinah glory. Praise God. And no one's going to miss his return. They're going to all see it. Everyone on this planet is going to see him blaze across the sky because his coming will be visible to all, even people who are stuck in caves somewhere in a mountain refuge. And when the nation of Israel sees him coming from their mountain refuge, when they see his appearance in the sky, Jesus said they will mourn. When he says, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, I take it. He's not talking about the world mourning. He's talking about the tribes of Israel. Earth can, uh, can be translated the land. The tribes of the land, meaning Israel, will mourn. And the reason I say this is because this is a direct fulfillment in reference to what the prophet Zechariah predicted would happen. In Zechariah 12, verse 10, he says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him. Like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. He said essentially the same thing in Revelation 1.7. Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. They'll mourn. They'll mourn. For the first time, Israel. Will recognize that all of these years they've been in rebellion to their Messiah they will realize that they have rejected Him, the Holy One of Israel. They'll mourn over their sin. They'll mourn over their rejection. They'll mourn over what they did to Jesus. They'll mourn over their rebellion. And then they'll repent. They'll repent and they'll receive Him as their Messiah, their Lord, their Savior. I I believe that Isaiah 53, you don't need to turn there, but I believe Isaiah 53 is a prophetic picture of Israel. Being converted on that day, looking back, saying, Lord, hardly any of us believed who you were. We thought that you that you were killed for your own transgressions, but now we realize that we we despised you, but you were dying for us. I think it's the nation reflecting their repentance, and that's what's going to happen here. And that day, Israel finally will have her spiritual blindness removed, and she'll understand exactly who... Jesus is in the real meaning of his death on the cross in payment for their sin. And they will weep and mourn because they'll finally get it that they pierced and rejected their own Messiah. This is the day that Paul said is coming when he wrote that all Israel will be saved. But, folks, it is also a time when, praise God, Jesus is going to gather all believers across the planet to himself. Verse 31. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. As the angels sound forth this incredible trumpet, somehow they will gather together all the believers in Christ from the four corners of the earth. The believers who have been been hiding from Antichrist from all over the world. And they're going to bring them to Jesus. And they're going to forever be with the Lord. Never to be separated. Now, folks, this day is coming. This day is coming. When everything we have studied about this morning will become reality. What is considered the future right now will be the present then. And so in light of that day coming, the primary question and really only question for each of us is, are we ready for Christ's return? Are you ready to see him? Are you ready to stand in his presence? The only way you could possibly be ready is if you have accepted Him as your Lord and Savior. And so you'll stand in His presence, cleansed of your sin, clothed in His righteousness. Otherwise, you will not stand in His presence. Not not like that. You'll be condemned. You know, the amazing thing about it is that we're told in the book of Revelation that even as Jesus blazes across the sky... Not everyone is going to mourn and repent. That's hard to conceive, but some people will be so hardened in their unbelief and rebellion that according to the book of Revelation, specifically Revelation 16, verse 9 and then 19, verse 19, though they will see Christ and there'll be no question about who he is. I mean, who else is this coming in the the, the blaze of glory? Some, we're told, will actually blaspheme his name. And others, we're told, will actually fight against him. Now, how stupid is that? He's coming in the clouds and you, puny man, think that you can fight against God Almighty. But that's what unbelief does. It hardens you. And rejection of Christ, constant rejection hardens you to that, to the point that you're not even thinking clearly. That's what's going to happen. But you know what? It can happen now. It can happen now. Make sure that you have made peace with God, and the only way you do that is through faith in Christ. Repent of your sin, trust Christ to be your Savior, and let Him reign in your heart as Lord. Otherwise, your heart can become so hardened to the truth that even when you're faced point-blank with the truth, you're fighting it. That's hardness. Don't be like that. Let's bow for prayer. Father, many of us are ready. We say with the Apostle John, who at the end of Revelation said, even so, come, Lord Jesus. We say that we are ready this day to be raptured, to be in your presence. But I'm sure in a congregation this size, there are some who are not ready. And I pray that they will be careful to consider all the things that have been said this morning. I pray that you will open their hearts to the truth. Otherwise, Lord, they will become more and more hardened to the gospel. I pray that you would soften their heart. I pray that you'll give them a new heart. And Lord, I pray that what we've studied today will be such a living reality in our lives that it will capture us. It will captivate us. We get so caught up in our daily events. Help us to have a mindset focused on eternity. These things are really going to happen. And the only thing that is really important is are we right with you? Are we in a right relationship? Everything we're told will someday be burned up. Everything we're told, all the lusts of this earth will pass away. But we who believe in you will abide forever. So help us, Lord, to think in terms of eternity and not to be caught up in this world. We pray all of this in Jesus name. Amen.
1: It's been great having you along for today's class. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us by calling 727-239-0306. We're here to help you in any way we can. Our website is versebyverseradio.org and our mailing address is Verse by Verse Ministries P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That phone number again is 727-239-0306. On our next verse-by-verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue his in-depth study of the Olivet Discourse from Matthew 24 with a message entitled, The Time of Christ's Return. Plan to be here with us. Thank you again for your prayer and financial support. I'm your announcer, Jerry Pruden.
0: You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org.
1: Andrew Southwick back with you. And as the Genesis narrative marches forward, we move into the life of Jacob. And it starts with Jacob and his brother Esau. They were twins, and they were fighting from the day they were in the womb. With the story of Jacob, we also see demonstrated the principles of God's grace, that is, unmerited favor. Jacob would be blessed by God
0: Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. (laughs)